Okay, if, if, if you walk down the road here, you get to the end of Morden Road, and if you're coming this way, it's two-way, and if you're coming this way, it's a one-way road. You probably all know it's a one-way road, okay? And you have two very large no-entry signs, and it says no entry along the, floor, along the ground in paint. You can't miss it. But if you, if you live around here, or if you know anything about this road, whenever you cross this road, you have to look both ways. Because nine times out of 10, there will be a bike coming this way up the road. Okay? Now then, uh, people maybe don't see the signs, but probably most people see the signs and they cycle through. Okay? You get the picture. They see the sign, but they don't take note of it. So John, as we just read, describes this in verse 11. What Jesus did here, this amazing miracle, this turning water into wine, he describes it as the first of the signs through which he revealed, Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So this story that John narrates here is supposed to be like a sign that points beyond itself to the person of Jesus, what he's about. And this series that we'll be looking at over the seven weeks, when it will be different next week, looks, as, as Andy said, at the signs that John uh, gives us. Okay? So there are seven, sort of, if you like, but there's also Jesus' own resurrection from the dead, which you could say is the eighth sign. Lazarus being raised from the dead is the seventh sign. And they all point, they're sort of John's way of saying, this is who Jesus is. And, and as we just read, this sign shows Jesus' glory and his disciples believed in him. So if you're following John's logic, you see the sign, you see who Jesus is, you believe him. So the sign to have an effect results in faith. That's what the purpose of these signs are. And we see it very explicitly right at the end of the account. So John chapter 20, he says this. Um, it's 20 verse uh, 30. So he's concluding now. John performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So he's saying it again there. He's saying, here are the signs. They're written down so that you might believe and you might have life. So that's, that's, that's what signs are all about. And notice, he doesn't say the miracle. Isn't that interesting? He says sign. Um, why, why does John not just say a miracle? Other gospel writers would say Jesus did a miracle. He's wanting to emphasize that they're pointing to something beyond the actual event that's going on. And it's a way of helping us to see that. Signs, signs in the Old Testament. Remember Moses? God reveals himself to Moses and says 
in, this is Exodus 4. You don't need to turn to it. Uh, he says, in effect, God says, I want you to go to your people and tell them uh, that I'm going to lead them out of Egypt. Okay. And Moses kind of goes, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe you? What, you know, why would they believe me? Why would they believe that you have told me to do that? It's a good question. And the Lord gives Moses signs, two signs. So the first one, he says to Moses, you've got a staff in your hand, just throw it on the ground. And so Moses does, and it becomes a snake. And he runs away. It's got quite a, a funny narrative to read. And then the Lord says, pick it up. By the, by the back, by the end, and it will become a staff again. And he said, there's another one. Put your hand in your cloak. And Moses does, he pulls it out, and it's leprous. And then the Lord says, put it back in. And it becomes clean. So what, what the Lord is saying is he's saying, okay, you tell them that you're going, you're, you've been told to, to take the people out. I've got signs to show you proof, if you like, that I am sending you. And as you read again, Moses the deliverer bringing the people out of slavery, he performed signs before Pharaoh. You know, the darkness, the gnats, these are signs to demonstrate that God is powerfully at work at that moment in history through Moses to deliver the people. So that's why Paul, for example, in, in, in his letter to the Corinthian believers, says, Jews look for signs. It's not a bad thing, necessarily, to look for signs that God is at work, because he has given signs in the past. That's why Jews look for signs. And what, what John, the apostle, in effect, is saying, you want signs? I'm going to show you the signs. Here are seven of them. And here's Jesus rising from the dead, the eighth. So that is why he uses the term sign uh, for us. Signs show Christ's glory. Doesn't John open his gospel saying, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, verse 14. So then, the series looks at the signs. Here we're going to focus in on this situation, this wedding uh, in Cana, not far from Nazareth, where he grew up, a little further north. And, and we'll look at, look at it, we'll, quick, we'll look through it, we will just get a sense of the story, and then we'll just go through again, looking a little deeper, what are the, what are the deeper meanings, if you like? What are the symbols, the symbols that we see there? So let's go through it. Uh, on the third, well, let me just read some of it again. The, this wedding in Cana in Galilee, Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So we've got the situation. 
wedding, happy occasion, two people getting married, big party, Jesus there, disciples. Weddings were kind of bigger than the weddings we have, I think, there. And then pretty much anyone turned up to the wedding. Uh, have you ever been to a wedding where the wine, <coughs> wine has run out? I didn't think so. Uh, it would be a bit of a problem. It would be a bit of a problem. It would be a bit embarrassing. A bit embarrassing. Then it would be even seriously embarrassing. It, would, it was the bridegroom's responsibility to provide the wine then. It wasn't sort of the mother and father-in-law. It, it was different then. It was the bridegroom's responsibility. It's his big day and he's not made the preparations. Shame culture. That's bad. That's bad. Often our weddings last, what, six hours, seven hours, something like that. This was probably a few days. Don't know what stage the wine had run out. This is not good. If you're not providing for the people who come, it's not good. So Mary goes to Jesus. Remember, the angel revealed to her, we read in Luke, your child is... Son of the Most High, he will do great things. She knew Jesus could do something about this. She knew. So she goes up to him and says, they've got no more wine. The idea is, you know, you can do it. You can sort something out here. He says this, Jesus says this interesting phrase, my hour has not yet come. We'll look at that a little bit more in a moment, but I just want us now to look at this interaction Mary goes to Jesus because she knows he can sort her out. He can work into the specific situation. And that is a model for us. Mary is a good example. In, in our everyday lives, we can go to Jesus and ask for his help. And, and, and she's right. Mary's absolutely right. <coughs> Do whatever he tells you. Sometimes we don't know what to do. We can certainly do what the Lord tells us to do. So, do what he says. And, and of course, looking further along, we, we see these six stone water jars uh, used for ceremonial washing. And they each hold between 80 to 120 litres. Now, I don't know if you're good at visually working out litres. If you're like me, you're probably not. But I kind of did some maths, and I think I'm right here. Uh, you, know the, you know the kind of wheelie bins we have? You see them all around. I think it's about the equivalent of three of them, or three or four of them volume of water. So that, that is going to turn into wine. I mean, that's, that's a lot of wine. Uh, this, is, this is a big... A big miracle. So next time you see a wheelie bin, think of this. Think of this story. A big amount of wine. Um, we will, as I say, look at a little bit more of why, why that is. But just think what, what's happening here. Jesus goes to a party. He stops it being a bad party. He makes joy possible, he provides. Is this, is this how you see 
Christ, how do we see Jesus? This is the kind of God he is, a glorious God who richly provides. Do you, you, could, you, you could put it this way, do you see Jesus as a joy giver or a joy killer? Does your, how does your life display that? What would your friends or family think? Remember, Jesus was accused of being a glutton by certain people because he, he just had, he enjoyed good gifts. Is that the impression that we, we give? Okay, um, one other thing on this quick skirt through. Um, did you notice that the master of the banquet didn't realise where this wine had come from? Didn't realize wine. Jesus, if you like, is ac- okay. It's an amazing, astounding miracle—a huge amount of wine. But he didn't realize who was orchestrating it. How often that I think is how God works. He's always working. Not everybody sees it. Not we don't always see it. The servants did, as Mary told them, and through them, God's work was established. And that we are considered. Christ's servants. So God can use us. Sometimes we don't know why he calls us to do or not do certain things, but we can follow him. Okay, now we need to look a little bit deeper into the story. My first question is, why does John include this story? It's not included in any of the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Why does he include this story, we might, we might ask. I think one of the reasons goes around this phrase he uses, the hour that Jesus says. Woman, why do you involve me, verse 4? My hour has not yet come. So John and Jesus uses this phrase, the hour, throughout the gospel. And here he's saying, my hour has not yet come. We go forward to John 17. He's praying shortly before his execution. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. So, and he says at other times, I have, I've, you know, this is the purpose to which I have come, that hour. So the glory that John is saying, the ultimate glory is on the cross because there, He takes our sins and provides the way for us to know God. That is the glory of God that will be revealed. And in effect, what he's saying now, I haven't put this very well, is now is not the time to act, Mary, woman. Now is not the time. But yet he still does. (laughs) So he shows in another way uh, what what is... um, his goodness. Sorry, I've not made that at all clear. Hopefully it will become more clear. Often you read in John, no, people tried to seize him, but it was not his hour, it was not the time for that. But in effect, what, what this miracle is, it's a sign of what that future hour will accomplish. The Jews were looking for God to come. They were looking for a wedding banquet. And here is Jesus at a wedding banquet, 
He really becomes the bridegroom. He provides the wine. Are ringing any bells? Ringing any bells? God is going to come and he is considered the bridegroom. We are the bride, the church. John is sort of marking his gospel, saying this is where it's heading. Jesus' work is heading to a banquet. Okay? Um, Okay, now then, the six stone water jars. Did you notice it said, used by the Jews for ceremonial washing? Now, why would John mention that? You can't be certain, but clearly they were the big, would have been the biggest receptacles around that would, would, would be suitable for this, this miracle. But I think there's probably more going on. In John, images and, and descriptions are very important to how he narrates. We think he, he is the one who uses I am the vine, records Jesus saying this, the good shepherd, and so on. Imagery is very important to John. So these, these are used for ceremonial washing. So ceremonial surface in a sense, but signs of purity and washing before you, you, you ate, you washed. It wasn't in the Old Testament, but it had become a custom in the Jews. And what Jesus is doing is he's, he, his power, he, he's going to, if you like, his miracle is he provides washing. Yeah, he provides a way to make us clean and pure. I think there's something that may be going on like that. It's it's difficult to say, but 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 that's it's intriguing. Why why would John mention that? We'll have to ask him one day. Uh, okay, another thing to note, sort of the deeper level, if you like, is. Um, the first statement, they have no more wine. They have no more wine. Wine was a symbol of blessing in God's abundance. The prophets often said when Israel was disobedient, I will dry up the wines, the crops, you will be sent into exile. So wine was a sign of blessing. And the old religion had not provided that. Jesus is the new wine. There's nothing else left, if you like, on the old way. We need a new one. Jesus is that new one. And then just, just, to, just to say, to show you from a couple of passages in Isaiah, which, which I think give us some light on this. So Isaiah 55, you might know it. It, start, it comes soon after the final servant song. It says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Free provision, your needs met. That is what the servant has accomplished in Isaiah. That is an image of what Christ satisfies all who turn to him, all who are thirsty, and there's wine. I wonder if that's in the background of, of, of John's account as well. Or Isaiah 62, 
just read, where is it now? Verses, uh, bit of verse four and five. The, the, the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so your builder, against God, will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. So this image of, of uh, marriage uh, it, and God rejoicing over us is possibly in the background. And one more from Isaiah 26. The commentaries mention this, so it's not just me, I should say. <laughs> not that they necessarily are right, but... Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. So the people of old were waiting for this banquet. And here we have in John a banquet, and Jesus provides the wine. I think we're supposed to think, ah, here is the Messiah. As the disciples said in John 1, we, we have found the Messiah. Okay? So that's some of the deeper things. So in one sense, the, you could describe it this way. The wedding of Cana is not really about the wedding of Cana. Okay? It's about the bridegroom is here. Jesus is going to provide all we need for satisfaction. His time is not yet, but it will come. How do you see the Lord Christ. Do you, are you waiting for that final banquet or are you expecting him to give you everything now, here and now? This is first, the first sign John gives us of the glory of Christ. There are seven more signs to come. Uh, and remember, the signs, as John puts it in verse 11, reveal his glory and his disciples believed in him. The purpose of these signs is that we see Jesus, we come to him, and we find life. Have you ignored the sign, like lots of cyclists coming up this road? That's the key question. Uh, have you taken note? Have you seen how God is working and has worked into history? Are you waiting for that final banquet?